I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV Podcast 390. Terry Miller to the disco. It <laughs> <laughs> was like on cue. Oh, uh, so We're starting late. Clearly, I have a nosebleed. It, so the funny thing is, we're just about to go live, and Terry went downstairs to go grab Scott Stokely, who is our guest tonight, and <laughs> poor Terry. And so suddenly, like right before we're about to go live, Terry's like, "Oh my god, my nose is bleeding," and and so now, unfortunately for our, our, our YouTube viewers, they have to sit and watch Terry deal with a bloody nose because the show must go on. <laughs> it must go on. Well, quickly, I'm going to say we had a special guest. He's in house. Hopefully, I don't bleed all over him. We're going to welcome in Scott Stokely. Hey, hello, everyone. <laughs> Take it away, Scott. Hey, uh, I, I'll be honest. Uh, you're not the first person that was so excited to meet me in person that blood vessels literally burst in their face. So I'm, I'll, I'll consider that as a compliment. You know, one of the things I've learned about getting older is that one of the tricks is to lie to yourself and then believe those lies and then create a reality that's way better than the actual reality of aging. So Oh, I yeah. choose to believe that you were that excited. Yeah, we'll go, we'll go with all that. It has nothing to do with allergies, the uh, the desert, or anything else that I'm going through. But uh, so I do apologize to everyone out there. But like Johnny said, we want to get started. Scott, I wanted to bring you in, and I want to talk. Of course, there's been a lot of hype this year about what you're doing in 2022, mm-hmm. and well, you may be leading that hype train. <laughs> but let's uh, let's get started. What is, what does 2022 look like for you? I will 2022 is I am rejoining the professional pro tour in the open division. I, I've been out for a number of years now off and on uh, after a 13 year break from the sport. Well, let's say I was on tour off and on for eight years until 2001, took 13 years off, came back. And I've been out off and on ever since, but I've been playing uh, a lot of age-protected tournaments, uh, focusing on teaching, seminars, a lot of my special needs work. Haven't focused on the actual pro tour, but in 2022, I'm out there uh, competing in MPO with the best in the world. And I'm going to be out there in the entire year 
I've given it my best shot. So some might say, why? Like, why now? What do you have to prove and why MPO? So the short of it is it actually happened the last time I saw you. Uh, when I was at the Dynamic Discs Open, I was only competing in tournaments basically around my seminar schedule. Like geographically, I was running seminars all across the country. And then on, on weekends, I'd play tournaments. Didn't matter if it was a one-day C tier, an A tier. I, I didn't care. And uh, I happened to uh, be in Kansas, and the, the Dynamic Discs Open was happening. So I said, I'll play the DDO. Uh, you know, MP50. Wasn't thinking anything uh, beyond that. And I'd seen the, the Pro Tour. I'd seen the evolution on YouTube, of course, and it looked amazing. I was so proud of the sport, but I hadn't really experienced it in person. And when I went to the final day out at the country club, my mind was completely blown. It was basically, like, you have to imagine, I've been playing since, like, I first started in 1976. This is what we dreamed of for literally decades. And I was watching it happening. And I was so excited, and I was so happy for the sport, but something really weird happened, and that is after the tournament, all the touring players got into their RVs and left, and I honestly felt a sense of abandonment. Like I felt like they were leaving me behind, like I'm supposed to be there with them. That was the feeling I got, and that's when I said, I wonder if I could go out and do this again. And that's kind of what started it. Well, you've been clearly, you've been working out. For starters, which you very much documented is is an absolute inspiration. <laughs> but what have you been doing off the course besides working out and getting your body physically ready? What are some of the other things that you've been doing to get yourself prepared? Because although you were very competitive and won most of the age-protected division events you were playing in, now you're clearly back to going against literally the best of the best, mm -hmm. the Eagles and Pauls and Rickies and Kelvins. You're going to be going against all of them now. So a lot of it actually was the, the working out. So the, the short of it is I made an honest evaluation of whether or not I felt I could compete. Because if I didn't feel like I could compete, I wasn't going to do this. I was not going to go out there just to participate. Uh, it is my belief that at the level of the DGPT, that if you're not out there competing and trying to win, you're stealing a spot from someone that wants to win. So I wasn't going to go up there and say, hey, I used to be good. You know, welcome me to your tournament. I had to feel like I could compete. And I, I made an evaluation of my rating and how much I'd been practicing before and, and a number of factors. But I came to the conclusion that if I trained, I could be a competitive player. I'm not going to be the highest level. I mean, obvious. But I felt like I be, could be good enough to be competitive on a weekend. All I needed to do was train for nine months. And I hadn't really practiced in years. I was showing up at tournaments, playing tournaments blind. And, you know, just it was casual. And I said, I'm going to train. And I went out and I grabbed 50 discs. And by about the 30th throw, I felt like my arm was going to fall off. <laughs> playing a tournament was not the same as training. And that I was like, uh oh, I already told everybody I was going to be out. Uh, I, I concluded that I didn't have the body to support the training needed to get my game back up to where I could score. So I, I uh, literally dropped out of the rest of the tournaments for the year, and I, a major part of it has been focusing on working out, lifting weights, disc golf strong, heavy emphasis on diet and nutrition, going to get my blood drawn at the doctor every couple months and having them see where my levels are with everything and 
getting me up to par. And that has really been the focus uh, most of it until just about, I think, six or seven weeks ago is when I started throwing again. It, and uh, is it is it fair to say that right now at the age of 52, 52, you're in your best physical condition ever? Or were you were you this fit and ready to go when you were 19 or 23 or 26? You know, I, I, like it's hard to imagine that I could feel better than I did in my 20s. <laughs> I mean, what what's the expression? Youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> And so I, I like, I'm sure I was able to, I mean, I went, I was, you know, I do 500 drives, thousand putts a day and didn't think anything of it back in the nineties. And I can't do that now, even with my body. So I'm probably not in the same shape. Um, my goal honestly was the way I evaluated it was that in a sport like golf, you are still now I'm ignoring outliers. There's always exceptions, but generally speaking, I think late thirties is about the end of a, a typical athletic career in a sport like ours. So my goal wasn't to build a 20 year old body. My goal was to build a 39 year old body and I'm only going to go out for a year. I mean, if I go out longer, you know, who knows, but really I just wanted to be just an, at the tail end of an athletic career. I thought if I could be late thirties, that would be good enough. So I feel like I'm in my late thirties. Uh, but that's good enough. I, I, I was just going to say, I looked to some of your fellow peers uh, of whom you've competed against with forever. You're Johnny McCrae's, your Barry Schultz's, your Ken Climo's, all of those gentlemen. Uh, I mean, we've seen how well they can still play on any given day. Now, Climo a little sidelined with injury, but Barry Schultz is out there and it feels like he's <laughs> just as good as he was 20 years ago. And, you know, he's you know, creeping into that territory. And obviously Johnny uh, with a little bit of a, uh, a setback here with his with heart condition. But, you know, he's right there competing as well. So as you're saying, late 30s uh, certainly can be super competitive. Look at a, a Brian Schwabberger as well. So I, I, I feel comfortable thinking that you could be in that elite class and performing is at that level, if not greater, now that you've put so much into it. Yeah, well, so here's how the I was connecting the dots. Um, at the end of last year, I finished the year 1,010 rated. I had some medical issues beginning of this year. I was shooting 950 for a few months, which crushed me. But 1,010 was about where I was shooting last year when I was competing. Or, I'm sorry, the end of the year before last, so um, the end of 2020. And... I was not practicing. I was just showing up at tournaments, no practice, and I was playing courses blind. A lot of tournaments, I was asking where the OB was before teeing <laughs> off and was shooting 1,010. My feeling was with practice and training and actually learning the courses, I felt like getting my rating up to 1,025 was very realistic. Now, shooting 1,025 on the Pro Tour is not competitive. But the, again, connecting the dots, I feel like any player in the world 1020 rated can win a pro tour event on a given weekend like like and there's even going to be exceptions beyond that there all there will be but 1020 is the level where a 1020 golfer on a given weekend can win the world championships yeah and that means and, they've got the skills and they just have to have everything go right for that yeah, weekend. everything they've got to put together so if i can get my rating up into the mid 1020s doesn't mean i'll be competitive every weekend i mean far from it. i'm realistic but i believe that's good enough that i can come out on a weekend get hot for a couple rounds, find myself on the lead card, and then a two-round tournament, anyone's game. Now, you, you reached out to myself and a few others late last year when uh, organizing this plan, and you re immediately realized there might be an obstacle or two with just being able to get into the events. So what was that 
obstacle? How did you overcome that hurdle? What are some of the things that had to transpire for you to say, hey, um, I want to now come out and compete, but there's a few barriers here that I have to get over first. Yeah, so it's kind of a long story, and, and the, the details will be boring. But uh, I, what I did is I, I am bringing something to the Pro Tour beyond just an, uh, an interesting story. Uh, one of the things I've been doing for years is my special needs classes. Um, at the Disc Golf Pro Tour events, before the events, I'm going to be running a special needs class, and I'm, I want the Pro Tour to be associated with that because it's something that it's promoting adaptive disc golf. It's something that I do. I would be doing it with or without the DGPT, but to be uh, have their support on it, it's, it's a big deal. My my prize money goes uh, since last April goes to local autism organizations. So what I did was I I, I want to be out on the Pro Tour. I want to compete. And here's what I'm bringing to the table. Here's why I, I think you guys want me with you. And uh, and then things have just basically worked themselves out for that. And also, in addition to everything you have to do physically to get yourself ready, the sheer logistics of being on the road, touring around, trying to play disc golf to win money that you're just going to give away. Like, how, how do you, how do you find all the support? the actual support mechanism to be able to chase after the stream? Well, okay, so I, I, I'm going to be teaching my seminars. So at most of the events, the day after the event, I'm doing a seminar. Um, they're actually sold out for the entire year. Uh, so my seminars are already booked. Uh, my wait list, uh, believe it or not, is I, I have over 2,500 people on my wait list to get into one of my seminars this year that are sold out. Uh, it's a heck of a great problem to have. Um, so I'm doing that. Um, I have a bunch of products coming out. I have a bunch of tour series discs. I've been, I'll, if you give me the segue, scottstokely.net, you can buy a tour series Berg, a tour series uh, stall from Costaplast, uh, the tour series Harps from Westside Discs just dropped today. They're available, scottstokely.net. And I'll have a bunch of other tour series discs coming out. I'm about to announce uh, a golf cart and a bag so basically, I'm making money in other areas of the sport, teaching and merchandising, and that's why I can give away my prize money. So I guess that answers one of the next questions that a lot of people would be asking is, what are you throwing? Um, you know, what does it mean to you to have a mixed bag sponsorship? And and how much do you enjoy that, especially mm -hmm. being more old school where, you know, we when you were playing, there was really Discraft and there was Innova and... Um, Things have have certainly changed quite a bit since then, and well, in a multitude of ways, but namely in sponsorship. And people like Nicola Castro very much thrives in a in an open bag or a mixed bag. Uh, is that exactly what you have, or is how's that? Yeah. So basically, and I made a video about this about how do you build a bag, but you don't build a bag by choosing discs. You build a bag by choosing the shots that you need. I need a an approach disc that goes left, an approach disc that goes straight, an approach disc that goes right. And then once you know those three discs have to be in your bag, which uh, how you fill those slots, the model you choose to fill those slots is up to you. But it's the shots you're building your bag around. So the idea was I know what shots I need in the game, and then it's simply what do I feel is the best disc for this shot? And I've thrown lots and lots of discs. You know, the for example, the Harp from Westside is my number one favorite overstable mid-range disc they call it a putting approach i call it a mid-range because i drive with it quite a bit <laughs> uh but so then i get to choose to throw the harp and i love the bird the bird's my go-to disc for certain straight approach shots and i'm also putting with it and a whole bunch of other discs i mean my whole bag's 
like all but a couple discs have already been chosen. I'm just announcing them every couple weeks. Okay. Uh, the thing that's been really mind blowing to me is that when I've been approaching the sponsors, uh, I've been approaching them by saying, I want to have one of your discs in my bag. I want a tour series disc. I want to work with your company, but you're not going to have an exclusive. And, there's plenty of reasons why a manufacturer wouldn't want to do this. Why, mm-hmm. why are we giving you something when, when your competitor is giving you an equal amount? It's, it's kind of a wash at that point. And I didn't know if it would work. But when I've been reaching out to these companies, I, like I've, I haven't been told no yet. And I think, I believe, is that I'm doing something that I, I, I think is special. And I think these companies want to be a, a part of it. And if you're not in my bag, someone else is going to be. So companies like, I mean, well, I, 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 the announcements have already been dynamic, mm-hmm. uh, Gateway and Castaplast. There's, there's a number of companies I haven't announced yet, but these are just good people. You know, I mean, I, let me take a bigger picture. All the disc companies are good people. So I, this is not a better or worse than. But. Uh, sure. But like you said, there's some people that are probably uh, chomping at the bit to be able to support you, your mission, what you're trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish. And so that's got to feel good now. It also has to feel a little bit crazy. I know we talked, I just mentioned, you know, way back in the day, it was primarily Innova and Discraft. There's a few other manufacturers. What do you make of today's market and just the the depth and the breadth that we have in terms of the disc manufacturers and even the accessories that go along with it? Is that all stuff that you, you envisioned or thought would maybe be a thing 20 or 30 years ago? Of course. You know, one of the most common questions I get, and you can actually vouch for this because you've been around a long time too, <laughs> which means you're old. Yes, like me. I am. Uh, that's, uh, by the way, Jonathan, that includes you as well. <laughs> yeah, he's older than me by a few so months. People yeah, shut up, Miller. Podcast, they'll say, can you believe how big the sport's gotten? Can you believe what the DGPT is doing? Can you believe how good the players have gotten? Like, are you completely shocked by all this? And my answer is yes, <laughs> yes, I can believe it. Every single one of us knew this was coming. And the reason I say we all knew this was coming as far as how big the sport's blown up is because that's all we talked about. Back in the 70s and 80s and 90s, when you went to lunch, you talked about how disc golf is the sport of the future. And <laughs> you were like, none of this is a surprise to any of us. The only thing that was, I think that where we got it wrong was we kept thinking it was going to be next year. And that was always, <laughs> I mean, even in, you know, the mid 90s when I got introduced to it, Johnny V got introduced, we said, okay, well, next year when it's on TV or next year when it's on it ESPN, it was always the next year when we get that big break and television was always that big break. And now here we are, I think we're resetting our goals on any given weekend, whether it's an ESPN spot or, or any other kind of broadcast television or the documentaries or the, the, the series that are making it into film festivals. I mean, there's so many different ways that we can continue to blow up. It is. And so yeah, none of it's a surprise. Uh, the amount of companies that are getting in is just good. I mean, I like it's a pretty like the free market. It's a pretty well proven system with, with all its flaws. The free market is the best to make something grow. And that's what's happening. Every new company that comes in is pumping money into the sport. They're sponsoring tournaments. They're sponsoring players. They're growing the sport. Whether they succeed or fail, the fact that this company existed at all benefits our sport. The sport wins. Yeah, it was interesting. Somebody recently, uh, you know, there was the announcement. I think I talked about it on the show. As to how many manufacturers approved this just last year. 
And somebody was saying how that's terrible for the sport and a bunch of them are going to die off. And I'm like, I don't know how that's terrible. I mean, it's terrible for them. Of course, if somebody, you know, dumps their life savings into going out and creating a couple molds, they run a few, you know, a few uh, hundred thousand of them and they don't sell well. Of course, I think that's terrible, but I don't know how it hurts the sport itself no, in any way. No, absolutely not. Like, like, what's a better situation? A small town with two restaurants that both succeed or a small town where 10 restaurants open up, five of them fail. But the best five succeed. You got five restaurants instead of two, and you got the best five. Yeah. Like, that's why the free market works. So it's not bad. Of course, it's bad for the individual. I mean, exactly. I mean, I, I watch it, you know, you'll see towns where, like, all of a sudden three or four pro shops open up in, in a town that you know can't sustain it. And it's heartbreaking because they're all going to suffer because of it. But that's also, that's business. When you go into business for yourself, that's you know, like, those are some of the role, the role of the dice yeah, that, that you're going to take as well. Yeah, there's just incredible benefits. I've been an entrepreneur, self-employed the vast majority of my life, and I've had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. <laughs> it comes with the package of being a business owner. So some of those companies are going to fail. Some of them are going to do disc golf and be wildly successful for the rest of their lives. So, yeah, it's, I, I'm I, it's not bad for golf. Uh, and speaking of the golf, so we're about 36 hours away or so, mm-hmm. a little, yeah, about that, from getting started for the Pro Tour for this year. Have you seen who you're playing with? Do you know what time you're playing? Is any yes, of that? I am playing how, with How are you feeling about it? How did you get in? The Castro and James Proctor. Okay. Yep. And I apologize, one other player. It's another 990 like me. Okay. Um, I'm excited. I haven't shot with James. Um, I, I personally am a, a big fan of Nico. I like Nico a lot. Mm-hmm. He's a really good guy. I know he can be a little bit polarizing, uh, but a polarizing athlete is not bad <laughs> for a sport because a polarizing athlete, you watch. Yeah, you're, you're always wondering I mean, what's going to happen. Nico is fantastic for the sport, uh, but also, like, I know Nico is a good guy, and I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to playing with him. Yeah, well, uh, that, that does sound like a good group. And thinking that Nico LaCastro, coincidentally, uh, might be one of the most veteran players in the MPO division. So right. to see you playing with him, I think, is even a little bit cooler. I and mean, we've got a lot of guys that have been playing for a mm-hmm. long time. But Nico's been grinding it out on the tour uh, since, like, 2006 or something like that. Which Yeah, I saw a meme going around where uh, it, was too, it was a picture of Nate Sexton and a picture of me. And and they put the little the little bubbles where Nate says I'm a veteran, and then the little bubble to me says I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, what do you feel about that? I mean, there are guys that have been guys and women that have been out on the tour now. I think of your Sarah Hokums, uh, you know, that have been out for so many years, more than a decade, and you've resurged in various uh, forms in over the last couple of years. What do you think about all these people that are out here grinding? I think it's fantastic. I mean, you know what? You know what Sarah Hokum's not doing this year? She's not sitting in the cubicle doing something she hates. So she's winning right there. <laughs> yes, I, in my opinion, if, if this is what makes her happy and what she wants to do, then it's a win. She's living the life she wants to live, which is fantastic. The people that are doing disc golf for a living are living a dream. And, you know, my hope is that uh, many of them are able to carry this over past this. Because and I'll tell you a real quick story. So when I first went out to tour, I was dead set, first off, that you have to go to college. You have to go to college, get a degree, get a job, <laughs> you know, a 401k, wife, 2.5 kids, <laughs> yep. suburbs, blah, blah. Yep. I was sure of this. And, but I said, I'm going to go out. Like I was, I didn't want to 
do this type of life, but I, I, I wanted to go out and tour. So I went out and toured for three months, but I planned at the end of the tour, 1993, that at the end I was going to go back, uh, had five more semesters of college and was going to do the life I was told I had to live. And I went out for three months and I remember thinking at the end of the three months, I went, uh Oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> like, uh, how can I ever go back to this? <laughs> oh, that now, that now that I've actually been playing, you know, this is 1993. I mean, we're, I mean, the days that we actually ate hot food at gas stations instead of cold sandwiches was like, you know, those were Mondays. Cause we were like <laughs> celebrating our $80 first place win. But it, like that was such a dream life. And so I, I like, I, I hate the thought that some of the players that got to enjoy this might go back to doing something, but disc golf. So my, you know, I hope they figure out a way to parlay disc golf into a career and a life because there's, there's so many things out there. Uh, well, and I think you're the perfect uh, proven case for that. I mean, there's so many different facets and, uh, and roles in which our disc golfers, whether they're current, and current superstars, or they're on the tailing end of their career, there's so many more things you can do besides just working for the company. Uh, there's roles within the PDGA, there's roles within the DGPT in various uh, media capacities, and then just instructionals, podcasts. I mean, there's just so many different things now. Uh, you can o- help oversee and manage a team. You know, not the, obviously Eric, uh, Eric, wow. Uh, 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 yeah, Eric McCabe. That's who I was going to yeah. say. Uh, Eric McCabe, he doesn't compete nearly as much. He still could go out and be competitive, but he fills all these other great roles at Dynamic. And I just think, like, there's so many of those opportunities now that, again, didn't feel like they were available 15, 20 years ago. No, you had you had to create them. Yeah. You know, one of the things I wrote yeah. about in my book is everything from the traveling double series to the clinics to the private lessons. Like, I, I – I made that up. Like I made mm-hmm. up all these things. I've started all this stuff. So I actually had to make up, create opportunities because they, they, they weren't there until I did. So um, there are opportunities now, you know, I, one of the things we've talked about, I just don't know how to put this together, but I would love to do workshops for the touring players on the business side of, of disc golf about branding, uh, about your, your career, about monetizing disc golf, you know, basically the business of disc golf. Yeah, and I, I feel like we're getting closer to that, and obviously you'd be an incredible resource for it, but we're seeing uh, player managers or tour managers, I think it's someone specifically like an Ari, uh, who's who's been very much helping Ricky with everything she's doing, but then also uh, we have accounting firms that are representing them. We have uh, law firms that are representing our disc golfers. We're making sure that contracts are all you know legit and in place and all the sponsorships like there's uh so many things that are going on with it and like you said i think it can come back to the branding and sponsorships and everything else that's tied to it it's incredible yeah and this is not something i want to or or will ever want to do for a living i mean i want to mentor players this is not something i want to be paid for i wouldn't take money for it i want to help the younger players because one of the frustrating things for me is that you know so many top disc golf athletes in the 90s and especially 80s and 70s and, and before didn't get to keep doing disc golf for a living. And I don't, I don't, it's not that it's unfair because everybody had the same opportunities to create opportunities. Mm-hmm. So it's not that it was not fair. It's just, I don't want to see that happening to players because there's so many ways. Like, I mean, even to a point, like I'm giving away my prize money. I mean, part, partially why, like, and I did this all last year or most of last year, like, like I don't need prize money. There's so many ways to monetize this sport beyond prize money that 
you just have to do it. Yeah. But if you're 22 years old and no one's told you how to do it, you're just hoping you get a, a tour disc from a sponsor. If your rating gets high enough, but like that's, that's awesome if you can do that. But there's about a hundred other opportunities beyond that that you can make yourself. Yeah. And, and you have to go out and work for it like anything else as you should have to. And I think of someone again, uh, I pull in like a, a Brian Earhart who, you know, has been playing and touring around and has very much found a voice and a passion for doing the disc golf commentary. So he's, stepping into more of that role and then you you know i i think of someone else who's on the disc golf pro tour team this year in zoe andyke who clearly has been playing and doing all the things that she's been passionate about teaching and instructing uh but then she turned that into a nonprofit with creating you play and then developing it and moving on from there so like you said there's just so many different ways to branch out and it doesn't have to just be you know where do i stand uh, at the end of a three or four round event yeah. And, and that, yeah, there's, so the way I, the way I'm, when we've talked about these workshops, the way that I would describe it is that as a professional athlete, you have two scoreboards. One is how many strokes under par you are. And your second scoreboard is your bank account. Okay. Right. Yep. If you're an yep. athlete, it's only the scoreboard. If you're a professional, it's only the bank account. Professional athlete, you have two scoreboards and they both count. Now, mm-hmm. one of them, can positively affect the other. How well you <laughs> score can affect your bank account. It doesn't go the other way around. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. It doesn't make score. you a better golfer, yeah. But those are two different scoreboards. And a player, like, I don't consider a player less successful. If you're 1022 rated, and that's as high as you get, and you got a couple podium finishes, but you never win a DGP2 Pro Tour event, but you do disc golf for the rest of your living and put your kids through college because you get to work in disc golf, that is a professional win like that's, yeah. a, that's more of a professional win than having a couple couple tour titles in my book and and not doing anything with those yeah it right. i yeah i totally agree and i the fact that we have so many opportunities now with the pro tour with how professional disc golf and the sponsors and just so much more money infused into everything the just the opportunities are endless you just have to go work for them and as you know, some people are better at working for them or not. Yeah, I, I'm for sure. It's not for everybody, but hopefully it's for more. Uh, so just to rewind briefly, and it may or may not be, I might be thinking of yesterday. If so, I apologize. Dan Ginley, I believe, celebrated a, a birthday yesterday. And you were talking about, you know, some of the original touring players. Uh, Dan Ginley, of course, uh, you know, it's doing spinners on the green. And then, you know, the backbone to the Memorial Championship that we're going to see next week. Give us a give us an early season uh, crazy story, whether it's Vegas or Memorial. That's where I was kind of tying all this together. I'm thinking of both both weekends because Vegas, for the most part, has always preceded the Memorial, and then in in the years, it's kind of jockeyed back and forth as to which ones had has had um, you know bigger emphasis. But these two weeks back to back have been these have been on the tour forever, haven't they? Uh, yeah, or started the tour, I should say. Memorial for sure. Yeah, okay. Because that was around. That was originally the Bob West Memorial. Yep. Uh, Bob West, a player from Huntington Beach, who passed away back in the late '80s, I believe. But then it it just became the Memorial. Uh, A crazy story from the from the early days. Uh, I'll just give you a crazy Dan Ginley story. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So Dan was the second player to tour. Okay. Now, my definition of touring, there were certainly players that hit the road. There's certainly like a player like Greg Hosfeld was literally on tour for years, but he was also doing stand up comedy and 
you know, so not to just take anything away from that, but I, I would call touring, you're living off the money you make from disc golf and you're living on the road. Okay. The first player to do that. Can I guess? Yes. Go ahead. It's not you, right? No, I'm, the, okay, I'm okay. number seven. I'm, is he Canadian? Yes, he is. All right. Yes. yes. Glenn Whitlock would be Glenn my guess. Glenn Whitlock. And Glenn Whitlock, this will segue into Dan Genley, but this is such an amazing story because, yeah, people talk about the early Wild West days of the sport. This is a pretty good example. So Glenn Whitlock uh, was traveling, touring in the 80s. And now mm-hmm. in the 80s, if you won a tournament, you might win 120 bucks. Literally. Yeah. And the way he was able to support himself, uh, first off, he didn't drive. Yep. Uh, he hitchhiked. So he would basically go to a tournament. And at that tournament, if there was somebody there anywhere near a town where there's a tournament the next weekend, he would ride with them to the next town. And if he couldn't get there, he would grab his golf bag and his backpack and he would hitchhike to the next town. The other way. Uh, What's that? Okay. okay. The, other, the other way that uh, uh, he supported himself was that Glenn was an actual competitive eater. He's like five foot seven, 140 pounds. I was going to say, uh, yeah, 140. Yeah, heck, yeah. I was going to say more like 120, but okay. Okay. So, but no, this, yeah, literally. And uh, he, this is, by the way, you think we're exaggerating and talk to any single person from the 80s. We've all seen this. So, what Glenn would do was he would only eat at all you can eat restaurants that cost less than a dollar a plate. That was his rule. And the, the, the dollar plate was because of the, the more variety, the more plates he could eat. So in other words, he would never pay $7 for an all-you-can-eat spaghetti meal because he could only eat like five giant plates of spaghetti <laughs> for 7 bucks, not worth it. He would pay $7 for uh, all-you-can-eat buffet with variety because he would eat nine or ten plates. It would take him several hours, and then he wouldn't eat for a couple of days. <laughs> no, I ask anybody from back then, this is not an exaggeration. Glenn was, wow. it was legendary what he did. Uh, so that's how Glenn was the first person to tour. Uh-huh. The second place <laughs> player to tour was Dan Ginley. And Dan did something that we couldn't believe back then. When we heard this, like our mind was blown. This is 19, I believe 90. Dan drove a car. He yeah. drove his own vehicle to tournament to tournament. Okay. You, you you have to have been there to realize that that was not something that was possible. And you can't play. Okay, sure, that guy's hitchhiking, but you can't play frisbee golf for a living <laughs> and pay for, for gas. gas. Okay, yep. yep. Dan, Dan did it. Dan was the second player to do that. So uh, Dan is a legend. Dan went out and toured and made his living playing disc golf and kept gas in his tank. That was a really big deal in 1990. Yeah, and I I think about um, it, whenever people talk about just that. Yeah, the the first couple of people, Dan is always one that is mentioned as essentially the first touring professional that's out there. And I think maybe Glenn doesn't always get the credit because he's Canadian, and you know we're just uh, we're just a <laughs> holes here in the, in the U.S. Yes. But uh, I, I won't I won't let anybody forget Glenn was first, and we should never forget what Greg Hosfeld did because Greg was on the road. He was also doing stand up comedy gigs. Uh, yeah. Well, I, but he was living, he he did the grind. There was a point where there was like 700 courses in the country and gl- he had played like 625 of them. Yeah, he kind of famously was keep was uh, playing right. every single one he could and checking them all off. Yeah. And, and then for a little while he was 
traveling with baskets and putting them up places and yeah yeah so we'll call glenn the first touring player we'll give greg hosfeld the first with an asterisk so like <laughs> I, I i left great uh, i felt so bad because when I, my book came out i didn't mention greg as a touring player and i feel really bad about it because he greg needs the credit for that too yeah well and and he's still competitive still playing yeah, he's still, still putting in courses every single feels mm-hmm. like every other week i see a new post from him putting in courses courses down in florida which is uh absolutely incredible uh it is we're going to backtrack just for a moment again to mm-hmm. this weekend. Uh, everybody that has seen any social media has hopefully now realized practice has been at a standstill for the last two days. If you got here earlier, which some players were, they got some practice in. And I always thought, well, that seems like they're really early. Well, that might really be paying off because the last two days, explain to the world what it's been like out there the last two days. Um, oh, I haven't practiced at all. I mean, it's 40-mile-an-hour gusts. There's no real there's no reason to practice in that. Especially when it's not forecasted for the weekend. If right. it were forecasted all weekend, I feel like at least some players could be like, okay, I'm going to go out here and come up with something that resembles a, a game plan. But it's supposed to die down. So I think people feel like they're just kind of wasting time out there. Yeah, and so uh, and every course is different. The way you study and prepare for a course, and I can't speak for any of the other players, but I'm pretty confident that most would agree with this, uh, that a course like Las Vegas w- – you're not really practicing lines as much as you are practicing gauging distance and wanting to get a feel for where out of bounds is landing zones, landing and- zones. Uh, you know, you, you step up to a hole and you're like, well, should I try? Cause there's a, an out of bounds green right in the middle of the fairway. Well, do I try to throw over that? Well, you, you throw one, you get a hold of it pretty good. It's in the middle of the green. That's where you learned it. There's no benefit to trying to throw across it. I need to just, I need to lay this one up. That's what you're practicing at a course like this. And so when the wind's blowing, you don't really get that. Um, I've been yeah. out here for three weeks. Um, I came out, well, not entirely here. Did you play the whole way here? Didn't you do that? You played like a 10,500,000-foot, 692-foot <laughs> no, hole? No, I, I went to uh, Death Valley, and I played a 55,000-foot a <laughs> hole across Death Valley. Uh-huh. The video's coming out in the next, uh, like, I, like hopefully the next couple days. Okay. okay. We shot the whole thing on video. Yeah, I mean, I... I thought it'd be fun to play a ten and a half mile hole across. The valley. Yeah, that doesn't sound fun, but okay. I mean, it does to you, not to me. Sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> Check the videos. I think is what we're saying. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. So I'll, I'll I'll take a quick aside here because this is something that I find really important to me, which is I and uh, again you'll read a lot about this in my book, and you've known me a long time. Mm-hmm. I find it important to constantly be putting obstacles in front of myself and challenging myself. And one of the reasons I like to do this is I always want to know, and more so as I get older, I want to know what I'm capable of. And if I only do things that I know I'm going to succeed at, then I don't know, perhaps maybe I was capable of doing more. Like you only know what you're yeah. capable of if you fail. Yeah, you're not growing at that point. Right. You're, so, you're being comfortable and they always say you have to yeah. get outside your comfort zone. Exactly. So a 55-mile hole across Death Valley, there was no... <laughs> Or a fifty-five thousand foot, fifty-five thousand yeah. foot hole across Death Valley. <laughs> there, like there was no, there's no guarantee that I was going to finish that. Like I had to change shoes because I was, you know, I got shin splints and my feet hurt, and like, you know, <laughs> it was Death Valley. Death, it's the deserts. <laughs> De- deserts a real deal. Uh, but now I know I could do it, and it was fun. And it, I mean, even the tour is an example of this. Yeah. Like, it, now, I'll, now I will know what I'm capable of. I, I know you. I, Something that stuck out a little earlier, you said something about this year. 
is your goal to get to the end of this year and then reassess? Okay, I'll tell you my three-year plan. I have a very firm three-year plan, except we know there's things going on in the world that make this unpredictable. Mm -hmm. But barring anyone preventing me from doing this, this year uh, we, my girlfriend and I, are going to be on the the entire 2022 tour. Mm -hmm. Next year, I would like to spend the entire year in Europe competing uh, uh, on the Euro tour. Okay. It's, maybe it's a little bit informal, but just hitting the events, but just hitting countries I want to go to. Uh, I'll also jump in. I'll take one little break from that. I want to go to Japan. Uh, we want to go see the cherry blossoms in April. Okay. And if there's a tournament, cool. But aside from that, we're going to do Europe the second year. And then my plan, if all everything goes according to plan, the year after, I am going to tr- – I want to travel all over the world, and I want to go to the most obscure places where disc golf is new and compete in their national championships. Because there is an Ethiopian national championship. Mm-hmm, there's a mm-hmm. French Guyana national championships. Uh, maybe. There, if there's not, there will be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the Republic of Chad is going to have a national championships. And uh, I want to go travel the world and go to places that I've never been to. And collect play. national titles? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but I don't I, – honestly, I, like the, how I play is irrelevant. But uh-huh. what I want to do is I want to go see places. I want to experience the sport – um, if I can bring some media uh, media attention to their event, because if, if they promote it, they can make something of the fact that I'm coming, and then I can do some seminars and clinics, and I can appear on some local TV shows. I could I, I can really do a lot for disc golf in these in these places. Aside from the fact that we're also just going to have fun going to cool places, so that's my three year plan. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm I'm going to keep checking in on that because it seems like your plans are always changing because, well, the world is always changing. And we don't yeah. know what's yeah. really going on and you get sidetracked and and or, or you get derailed, whether it's uh, on your own accord or otherwise. So um, to think about your uh, your main means of income being the. <clears throat> Uh, the clinics and the demonstrations are mainly the clinics. How at one point you were trying to scale that? Is that correct? Or yeah, you, I, you, I, you I, have a couple of instructors that you've instructed that are then moving on teaching your same methods. Yes. Uh, well, Philip Bartholomew is already teaching classes. Yep. Uh, Phil is a high level golfer from North Carolina. Um, he is also my observation of the people I've seen. I've never seen anybody teach disc golf better than him. Okay, and I I don't know how to put myself in the loop. I can't really be objective sure. for myself. But the the thing is, the what I teach is I call I, I hate I really truly hate the term the Scott Stokely disc golf method. But for <laughs> business purposes, I'm naming it what I would recommend someone else name it if they created this. Okay, so I call it that. Uh, cringing, but <laughs> the, it's the Stokely disc golf method. And what it is, it's not a method of throwing that's different than anyone else teaches. Every pro in the world. Like, we agree 98% the correct way to throw what correct form looks like. There's no disagreement on how to throw correctly these days. The disagreement is on how to teach a player to get there. So what the method that I teach with my teaching is a process that I've learned. I did my 500th clinic in the spring. I did 1,200 private lessons in three years. I've taught more than anybody. And I've developed a method and, and a process to get a player to throw the correct way. And it is not by teaching the end result. The end result is when you watch a YouTube video and you're going frame by frame going, my hips need to be here before my arm gets to here. Uh, and everyone watching knows that that doesn't work. 
So the end result isn't what what works. So what I've developed after years and years, I mean, literally decades, is if you do these things, these other things fall into place behind it automatically. And so what Phil, what was amazing about Phil is he'd been teaching disc golf full time for three years and was really, really good at it. And if you're going to teach my method with my name attached to it, you have to teach my way. In other words, you have to be able to drop your ego and do that, which is really hard to do because he's very good. And he, he came to one of my seminars and at the end of the seminar, he watched everybody and he went, Oh my God, I've been teaching wrong. This is like, that's just a mind blown what you were just able to do with these players in this amount of time. He goes, I'm all bought in. Wow. And he is now teaching the exact method I teach. And I'll be honest, I, he teaches every bit as good as me, maybe even better. I mean, he's really good. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I mean, he's, he cares so much. And yeah. so, that's um uh, will be there'll be seminars all across the country that Phil's going to be teaching and I have a world champion I'm not announcing it yet but a past world champion is coming to Las Vegas and coming to my seminar the day after the event to hopefully have the same experience to see how I teach and then decide if he wants to also do it so there may be a second teacher as well dang scaling up i'm what yeah. you have to do because there's only so many well 20, there's only one of you 2500 people on the wait list <laughs> 2500 people on the wait list and there's only 24 hours in a day and there's only one of you so scaling is clearly the the next solution well, well and here's the funny thing is that you know from a business perspective i could just i could just loan my brand or license my brand to, to 50 people and run seminars all across the country i won't yeah like you, it took me like a year and a half to find one person, Phil, that I that I entrusted to teach because you got to teach my way if you're going to do this. And so it took a long time to find someone. So I'm being very, I'm really focusing on quality over quantity, and and I'm, this is not a cash grab. No. So I, I, a lot of people won't get to go to the seminars, but the people that do are going to be mind blown. All right. So, um, how many is it? Just energy drinks? What do you? What do you? Uh, do you, you have the same nose problem I do. That uh, yeah. No. Uh, how do how do you keep going day in and day out? How do you how do you keep this level of excitement and and energy going? Though? Sure. It's um, uh, I have a pathological fear of getting old. Okay. Um, I am so terrified because my observations have been when someone gets into their forties and especially in their fifties. Everyone I've ever seen, once they slow down, they never speed back up again. You can slow down when you're 28 and then realize at 30 there's a whole life in front of you. And, and But I, most of the people I've seen when they get older, once they slow down, they, they don't. That, it's they, a, just a steady decline. It is. And so I, the anxiety and the fear of, of that drives me. Um, I also, there's... Um, this wave of disc golf is so big right now from a business perspective. I, I'm not going to have to be a greeter at Walmart in 15 years. If I do all these things today mm-hmm. and nothing against greeters at Walmart, I just picked that as a, a job that an, old, an older person might get mm-hmm. uh, that, but I don't want to do that. And, and so the, I don't want to miss this wave. And so that's really been my focus. A lot of it's anxiety driven, but it's not an unhealthy anxiety. It's a, channeling the anxiety into well it's a it, yeah i mean it, and that all is wrapped up in in passion mm-hmm. and then that's what's helping drive i i make the comment all the time like when people say something about retiring and i just think i can't i there's not a world i can envision where i'm not doing disc golf 
stuff, whatever that is, somewhere mm-hmm. in media or whatever, whether I'm 62 or 72 or 82, hopefully there's going to be something that I can be involved in that's still fulfilling to me and then hopefully providing some kind of service or fulfilling to the rest of the mm-hmm. world. So I, in a, in a way, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like you love it and it's so easy just to let it come through and, yeah, and pour I, out of you. And to miss this wave would be from a business perspective to not take advantage of this opportunity that we have in disc golf right now as a business and as a brand. I mean, talk about looking back and regretting it because a lot of people are going to be getting into disc golf, the business side in five years. Some will succeed, but every single one of them is going to say, if I'd only been there five years ago mm-hmm. when this thing was <laughs> happening to us right now. Yeah. And we're like, we are in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And good thing we've been around a long time so that hopefully we've learned a few lessons to, to uh, keep things rolling right now. I, I hope so. <laughs> All right. So uh, speaking of the business yeah. and support, uh, we, before I let you go here soon, I want you to give any shout outs, any accolades, um, any other things that we should be looking for uh, this year. I know you gave us a ton of info, but is there anything else that you need to say to the to the world out there, all the disc golf fans that have been following along this crazy journey of yours? Yeah, so I left a couple things out. First okay. off, Birdie Disc Golf is also – I left them out when I was listing the companies. I'm sorry, Derek. Uh <laughs> Uh, the Marvel is coming out. Uh, the Scott Stokely Tour Series Marvel in its own plastic will be coming out in a couple weeks. Uh, Zone, I got, I'm got custom fitted clothing. Yeah, it looks sharp. It's very sharp. For 51.7 years, I never bought a piece of clothing that I tried on first. Like, I grabbed it off the rack. I, I you know, I would wash it <laughs> and then I would take the clothing out of the dryer and toss it on the floor and pull clothing out to wear. Like that's how I've, I mean, that's how I've lived. I've never cared about clothing before. And now all of a sudden I'm like, I got, these are custom made, not just custom design. They're custom. Yeah. It looks sharp. And the reason why is because of how much respect I have for the pro tour is that I, I will not do anything that does not represent the tour in a way where the tour is you know, isn't going to be really happy that to have me because I am going to be in front. I will get a lot of attention. I will get a lot of immediate attention. Uh, there's going to be 88 players with higher ratings than me. And there's going to be a media company that wants to talk to me. <laughs> yep. That's right. going to happen. So I need to, it, it, these opportunities where I'm going to be the face of the tour, I, I have every intention of, of being the best face I could possibly be. Well, you it's know. uh it's been an incredible journey. Uh, it's, it's been, been so fun, and it, and the crazy part about even saying that line as I look at you is that it's we're maybe halfway. I don't even know where the journey is going to end, but it's we're right now just on yet another leg of the journey, and I feel like there's so many more in front of us. It's pretty awesome. Oh, the uh, disc golf is like where it is right now. I mean, I mean, we are so big, and we're nowhere near as big as we're going to be. Exactly. Like we knew this was going to happen. We honest to God, we all knew this was going to happen 40 years ago. Like just hoped it would have been earlier, but you knew it was going to, we all, we all knew it was was inevitable. This was the, this was, and is the greatest sport in the entire world. It is taking over, taking over the world. And we, we knew it was going to, there's different types of sports. There are, uh, there are, uh, um, spectator sports that are based around watching like professional mm-hmm. baseball and professional football will always be a spectator sport to the masses. Sure. It's not a participation sport. Uh, 
a sport like ours, I have no reason to think, isn't going to be the largest participation sport in the world. The sport that the most people on planet Earth play, uh, with my apologies to soccer, we always have to include this, you know, <laughs> soccer in there. And I'm sure, I'm sure cricket and, you know, there's a couple of places where a billion people play cricket. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, so, there are. <laughs> but, you know, we're going to be one of those. Yeah. As far as participation, we will be in, in those groups. And just to see it happen is, I mean, uh, there's no words. Well, we've been along for the ride. You've been here uh, as one of the original drivers of this ride that we're all on, and it's been pretty awesome to see. So uh, certainly looking forward to this year. And while even, and in addition, your entire three-year plan, yes. uh, it it's, sounds ambitious, but that's exactly what I'd expect from you. Yeah, no, it, it's a it's a firm that, it, barring global things, like that's there's, there's nothing that's going to stop that from happening. Uh, but right now I'm focused on uh, on winning Las Vegas. All right. Johnny, I know we uh, chatted quite a bit, but is there anything that you have uh, that we didn't cover, anything in your notes that you wanted to uh, touch on with Scott before we let him go? Um, not 100%, but I – and you'll forgive me because I was doing a couple other things. Did you discuss on how you're getting into all the events? Or did you get into all the events? Are, are we Are we all prepped for that? Yes, yeah, was there? Yeah, we kind of touched on that a little bit in terms of any obstacles. Yeah. Uh, you talked about yeah. there are events that I still need to enter. There are some that okay. I'm going to be waitlisted for. There's going to be some, but for the most part, we've we've gotten this, we've gotten this resolved. And is there awesome. any? Uh, that was actually a, a question I I was thinking of earlier. Is there anything off the beaten path that you're expecting or you're seeking out in terms of events? Other A tiers? Are you going to be trying to fill in weekends? Oh yeah that you maybe didn't get into a pro tour event or, or whatever. You're going to be trying to fill up all the weekends. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. I'll be playing uh, the A tiers that are located in between the events. Okay. So basically all the touring players going from point A to point B are going to be at the same A tier. So it's going to be just as competitive, except we're playing mostly for our uh, entry fees. Yeah. Um, uh, I got to, I'll, I'll throw in two things. First okay. off, Eagles crossing. Yep. Yep, I, I go on. I know it's what you got. Yes, Let's hear it. I want to win. Uh, so that is the, the the biggest skins match in the history of disc golf is taking place in April. Uh, they already have some numbers out. There are things in the works that I'm aware of. It's going to be much bigger than currently advertised. Okay, it will be the biggest skins match, and I was invited to be part of it. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Uh, what is it, Eagle, Eagle McMahon, Brody, yourself, and uh, Calvin, and Calvin? Okay. Yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. Was there a height requirement to be part of that? Jeez, I, I, I think you might be right. <laughs> Why? Well, it's it's so great. I mean, I mean, Brody's such a good guy. You know, Calvin is hilarious. Uh, like Eagle's just such a genuine guy. Yeah. I mean, like these are three three really good people. You know, I, I don't think I, I will touch on this briefly. Brody does not get the credit from some of the people that he he should he you could make the case that there is no disc golfer that has put more eyes on disc golf than brody yeah for sure you know and so what he's done for our sport i mean our sport's this big he gets the claim to be a part of why that's happening and so he he really should get the credit for it i mean and um, i've got to know him this week's good guy uh, and of course, Eagle and Calvin are two of the top four players in the world. And I am going to, uh, I have every intention of taking 
all oh, of the money. Of course, all I do. the skins. Yeah. I have no intention. I mean, all that money. like lovey-dovey fun stuff is one thing, but you're you're there to take a whole bunch of money out of their pocket. It is actually it's something that I've I've been thinking about because I've been fanboy all week, right? With I mean, taking <laughs> sure. pictures of people, and I think that's okay. I'm a fanboy until the tournament starts. So when the tournament starts, I'm a <laughs> competitor, <laughs> and then after the competitor, the, the tournament's over. I get to be a fan again. I get to be both. Yeah, you know, on the final day of the tournament. If, you know, uh, if I'm not on the lead card, I'll be finishing while people are still playing. The minute my round's over, I'm going to go out and I'm going to be a fan of professional disc golf. But I won't be a fan on the course because if you're a fan of your competition on the course, you will get beat by them. I, I've had to, I've had so many players over the years ask for my autograph before the round starts. And I'm just thinking, why are you doing this? You just lost. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. So I'm not a fan when I'm playing, but the rest of the time I am. Uh, but at Eagles Crossing, by the way, mm-hmm. um, it is $200 to come watch the event. But okay. one of the things you're going to get is I am doing a, a throwing, uh, a 90 minute throwing clinic that's included uh, with, the entry, uh, with your, uh, uh, with your sign up. Take a price. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, so and that's in April, right? That's going to be in April. Okay. Eagles Crossing, what was what is probably going to be considered uh, the greatest course in in disc golf. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things, and uh, certainly excited to see how it plays out for you guys. Anything else that's off the beaten path that uh, is out of the ordinary that we wouldn't uh, know about? Yeah, I got one one last plug. So my book is out, and my book has got five stars on Amazon. Yep. It's won international awards for the story that it's told, and I sure would like to get a movie made, and. Uh, that involves people the, with skill sets that I don't have. <laughs> okay. So uh, if, uh, if if someone's interested, that's the that is one of the things that I have on the back burner. It's not a priority, but it's something I very much want to happen. It'll be one of the like it'll be an amazing story, and so. Will you Spread play the, the main character? You- no, I'm going to play Dan Roddick. Okay. Oh, Stork 003. Okay. Yeah, so Dan Roddick, well, Dan Roddick's a huge part of my book, and he's also six foot seven, and uh, I will pay homage to him by, by playing him in the movie. I've already decided that. Okay. All right. I love it. All right. Anything else before I no, let you go? That's good. Go to scottstokely.net. My tour series discs are available. You can buy uh, support what I'm doing on the tour with some cool merchandise that'll be worth a lot more money someday. Uh, in theory, mm-hmm. like Absolutely. I, in fact, I have what are called the NFTs of tour series discs. Okay, yeah, I suppose you maybe I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with. That. I'm just trying to sound young and hip. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, thank you. Uh, I've said this before. I'll say it again. You and Jonathan have supported me from day one when I came back. Uh, you know, as I was trying to reestablish my brand and didn't know a direction I was going, you guys have have never wavered from your support and being behind me. So I'm always going to be a fan and uh, of course your friends. Well, appreciate it. Oh, all right. Thanks uh, everyone. We'll see you. Uh, we'll see you out on the course in the next couple of days. I'm we sure will. we'll talk. Absolutely. All right. Have a good one. Thanks. Take care. All right. You're good. Yeah. I'll take that. And <laughs> I will join you here, Johnny. Yeah. You guys. Okay, so the show's going to be gone for a bit. Yeah, we're going to – we'll talk for hours and hours and okay. whatever. <laughs> so thank you guys for coming by. Thank you for everything. I'm going to the bathroom again. All right. So, Johnny, hopefully I can still hear you. Let, yeah, I, I think might you can. Plug in my to make it a little bit easier to hear you, actually. Um, and I have not, as if the world didn't know, I haven't uh, checked any of the socials or anything. So if anyone's – don't go giving yourself a bloody nose here, putting your earphones in. Your yeah. headphones in. I'm uh, hold on one. Yeah, yeah. That's the last <laughs> thing I need is another one, right?
Oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, I, I know some people are asking, like, hey, why is Johnny even uh, hanging out on the show? Obviously, when when we have when Terry has a guest on site, and it's it's usually just easier if I kind of step back while Terry kind of takes care of a lot of that stuff because me trying to interject. Uh, doesn't usually work over uh, Zoom or a Skype or as we do a vMix call. So for those type of interviews, a lot of times I'll just take a step back and handle the socials and the chats and the NFTs, apparently. so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you, you picked up your most recent Scott Stokely NFT out there. Well, yeah, yeah. of course. I've got out, two out, of them. Out on the open sea. Good. Good job. Yeah, uh, All right. So uh, has there been uh, any other chatter uh, going on? Well, I guess... We know that there has one of the big conversation pieces. If we're talking about social media or media in general, media uh, sounds like the Disc Golf Pro Tour made a few announcements today uh, with regard to uh, what we're seeing for the post production. There is no the post production; they've eliminated <laughs> it. That's what I've heard. Um, <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, it's only going to be live, and it's going to be behind a Russian paywall. So I hope you don't Good mind. Call. And Good you, call. And you need to have Bitcoin to watch, but you get an NFT. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Um, can you watch it from Ukraine or is it just the Ru- Russian side? It, ah. it, I don't know all the details Uh-oh. yet. They're going to announce the okay. details in three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good, good. Uh, yeah, so of course, big news today uh, was the conversation piece uh, w- regarding the f- rights to mm-hmm. um, to lead card coverage for Jomez Pro has paid the Disc Golf Pro Tour to secure those rights, and then a couple other two year contracts that were announced. Uh, I, I believe they were also all two year contracts that included the Gatekeeper GK Are you sure? Pro. No, that's why okay. I said I believe. Okay, because I, 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 I thought GK, I thought someone had said Jomez was the only two year. The other ones were one years, but I could be wrong there. Uh, I could have swore I saw something on Gatekeeper social media well, saying that they were locked in for two years. But I hope you so. Know, They're good guys. Um, but I what, mean, come on, what do I? What really you know? didn't mention is the amount. Um, it is a two yes. year. It is a two year agreement to cover lead card for uh, half a million dollars, five hundred thousand dollars. For two years, so that's two hundred and fifty a year for math majors. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know there was some confusion of whether that was per year or that was total, but it is two fifty per year. Um, I, I guess I have to ask Terry. I, I'm going to throw this in quotes. Is that the right amount? I don't. I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't know if anybody has this answer. But yeah, no. I mean, it, it's kind of like our contracts with our athletes. It has to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. So we now have a bar uh, that's been set for this type of opportunity. Now, I, I almost screamed this earlier because I, I can imagine, as I, I spoke with not one but two different events today, that were coincidentally were talking about getting some post production coverage, and I just want to explain to the world. <laughs> Do not get it twisted that this is not the norm. And it's not the norm because most media outlets have not built themselves to 360,000 subscribers and and thousands of Patreon uh, supporters and subscribers. And also, your B tier with your top-rated 982 player is not going to command the viewership that Jomez is going to continue to get week in and week out with literally the sport's best players. So I, I can understand how some tournaments may be licking their chops a little, thinking, what? I can't wait to everybody. Pay me to go to, to my event? 
Yeah, no, we are. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and and I'm and let's be real. Of course, that would be awesome if we get to that point where you know that becomes a model. That'd be awesome if you're the tournament director, and that'd be awesome for the media crews because that means the media crews are making enough money uh, and are more than sustainable that they can kick back to the event. But Jomez, because of their quality, because of the things that they do and the hard work that they put in, they're in a unique position that literally no other crew could be in. And again, that's in every way meant exactly as a compliment because of what they've done. Uh, the, the Patreon support alone that they get is incredible. And yeah, that's why they're able to, mm-hmm. to do this. And the, the views that they'll get... I don't want to say we'll quickly make up and erase that 500000 but for them to recoup yeah. that expense will happen far quicker than all of the other media companies combined. Correct. Again, yeah. I mean, because for, of everything that they've done so well. For reference, they have 3,700 patrons, minimum of $5. Not minimum, but $5 a month is their base amount. So that right there is about Is that the lowest amount? That's the lowest that they offer. I think you can do a... A one dollar, I think, with Patreon, you can actually choose other amounts, but that is their starting level, so to speak. So that's a minimum okay. right there of I think two hundred thirty thousand dollars or something along those lines. And we know that that's not all. So let me put it this way: the Patreon costs will cover what they're paying. And and again, five hundred thousand dollars is a lot. I'm not saying you can't take. It's very difficult oh. to take five hundred thousand dollars out of a company and not, you know, and and you know, whatever. It's so, I feel like it's no big deal. Yeah, like we're not no, saying that. Yeah, by by no means. And and Jomez has, you know, they're they're we're not worried. Nobody's worried. Jomez is going under because of this. We'll we'll put it that way. Those <laughs> guys do a phenomenal job in branding, marketing, um, all the extra things that they merchandising, film, yep. merch, yeah, merchandising. Uh, you know, the Paul Macbeth Foundation stuff. I'm sure isn't being done for free. Um, they they are they're a business. And I don't blame them one bit. So uh, th- whether it's the right number or not, uh, I mean, that's only we don't know. There's only there's no way to really tell if that is the right number, uh, because how how do you how do you judge the right and wrong number for for something yeah, like it, this? I mean, the way I look at it, I look at an ROI, you know, would would the pro tour play pretend that we went back a few years and, you know, whatever we're now and the Pro Tour decided to put everything on their YouTube page. What could the Pro Tour make off of their YouTube page? My uh, perspective is it doesn't matter what page the lead card coverage is on. It's going to get 150,000 views, 200,000 views per per video, maybe, depending on the card and whatnot. So those views equal money, and that's how you can build up. So. Could the Pro Tour take that away and put it on their YouTube and make that money? Sure. But you uh, then you also have to look at the number of extra people you need in order to do that. The Pro Tour would have to hire at least two to three people for graphics and editing and overnight, probably coordinating talent to do commentary, uh, paying commentators probably in order to do things like that. So there's all these extra costs. But yeah, and so, yeah, so as you're I, saying, I, the, there's no there's no right answer to whether they paid the right amount. I think they paid a good amount. I'll put that. It's not. I don't feel like it was astronomical on the pro tour side. I don't think it was astronomical on Jomez side. Now the funny thing is, I saw is uh, they're not covering any other divisions. They cover MPO lead card, not FPO, not MPO two, not MPO three. There's way less money in those. 
and there's less demand for them. Mm-hmm. So, so ultimately, we're, we want to spread out the coverage amongst other teams as well. It would give a lot of people a chance to thrive is really the way it's working right now. And I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I know some people don't like the fact that you have to go to two or three or four different YouTube sites to get your full post-production coverage, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, But that's the, that's the environment we're in. If you don't like it that much and you're watching that much post-production, just watch the live. (laughs) <laughs> that's how i kind of look at yeah. it like if you if you're com- if you're complaining that you have to go to, no, two to th- three different s- sites to watch all the rounds and the nine holes i mean that's almost as much time as it takes to watch live so you could do that but i know i'm not get- there, there's a there's a whole post-production versus live anytime anyone mentions it online you can go to there you can look at all the idiots on reddit f- f- you know arguing that stuff please by all means do that that's not what this is about at all, so I want to congratulate yeah, Jim I mean, and the Pro Tour. Yeah, and uh, and uh, clearly, this is this is going to be an argument until the day we die. That well, I love live. I hate live. I love post. I hate post. Whatever. Like it's mm-hmm. to me, what's funny about that argument or that discussion is, and and it's like a lot of other hills people will go to die on is they have to bring it up every single time. It, it does, yeah. Cool. Yeah, you, I know. Cool. It's cool. It, You could literally post something like, uh, 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 <laughs> a cameraman for the you know the catch cam for the live broadcast uh, broke his toe, and there's somebody to be like, I hate live. And you're like, okay. Dude. I hate live anyway. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. They it's, give it to Jomez yeah, it, or so, whatever. Like, so if, if just, you want to get in on yeah. that conversation, there are plenty of places to do that. Um, this is more yeah, of a it's literally everywhere. Um, it, it's it's, and, it's uh, in a yeah. lot of places. And everyone has their preferences and nobody cares. It's kind of like, I of got, course, I'm not suggesting people uh, don't. I just feel like it's hilarious that people feel like they have to voice it every single time. And that's pro-life or anti-life. Cor- I don't yeah, care. Correct. There it's are people funny how just people life. have to voice it literally every single time the production comes up or the conversation comes up. But nonetheless, congrats. Uh, the one event that I think that we are going to see from Jomez for FPO is I think we saw the women's na- uh, women's nationals or U.S. Uh, US women's, as it's called, um, I believe is going to have Jomez um, as one part event, of that. The one event that, or maybe two events that we're probably not going to see Jomez is USDGC and I think European Open is my guess. And oh. that... And okay. that is because the uh, so with the new pro tour with new D, sorry not pro tour the new DGN price increase which I think went up to eleven ninety nine a month if you're not a PDGA member will include USDGC mm-hmm. and European Open, but what it will not include is the post production for those. This is only the live coverage, and so post production is still going to be put behind a paywall, and that paywall. Is, I believe last year DGN took the editing um, with the help of some post-production crews, but it was technically mm. considered a DGN product. Um, and the way I understand it is, is Jomez has a very strict standard next day, all day, for the most part. Like, if it's not next sure. day and for free, they don't believe in it and they won't do it. And so that is not the model that those events are going with for post-production. So that is why sure. that, that is probably why Jomez is not 
in the running, so to speak, for those two events. It's just two events. It's two of our bigger events, but that that it, can it, I start a petition somewhere? No, um, you can sign one. I'm sure there's probably already out there. Uh, so that is probably why that they will not be doing that. But there will be post production for those events. They will be done by a very qualified crew, as we have a lot of qualified crews these days. Um, and it will be available, I believe, at an extra cost for uh, the post-production on those majors uh, that does not include worlds, but I believe it is for USDGC. And I think the European open as well. I, I'm 75% okay. on European open there. So yeah, that's those. I haven't looked that news. far into it. I, I, I just saw that, uh, that we're going to see live is going to be part of the subscriber uh, experience for this year for USDGC. I know that excited a lot of people and uh, hopefully we'll make things a little bit easier uh, for everybody this year uh, because we knew of that extra paywall that just had a, an extra hurdle or obstacle, if you want to call it that, uh, that was associated with it. So awesome. Well, yeah, and of course, you get your 50% discount uh, if you are a monthly subscriber to uh, – if you're a PDGA PDG member, member, you get a 50% discount uh, to the monthly subscriptions. Go out and do that. Um at the end of the day, I think, as we said, that math works out to $6 a month. And I think of a million stupid ways people spend $6 a month. Um, so <laughs> I, I don't think it's an astronomical ask by any means. Uh, but if you if you hate live, then please do not pay for it because I don't want to hear you complaining about it. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, I'll touch quickly on uh, again here at the event as we're still a couple days from it kicking off. It is going to be a four day event. If somehow you didn't know that uh, they'll be playing the three courses over the four days kicking off this year. And the last two days, as Scott mentioned, have been absolutely brutal, like it's not even enjoyable to walk outside because the winds have just been ripping the entire time. So if you're seeing players that will maybe make a post, I know I saw Paige Pierce and I saw uh, Connor O'Reilly. He made a comment today that said something like, you know, it's windy when my stiletto, uh, my stiletto is flipping over in the wind. I mean, it's been just absolutely brutal out here. And so the two days I've gone out to the course now, in the last two days, Monday and Tuesday here, there's, I mean, there's people out there practicing. Some people are playing, of course, but not nearly the level you would expect to see uh, on any other given week uh, out here for the event. And allegedly, it's all dying down. And I don't know, I guess I could even check, maybe I'll check the internets and see if that is true. But that's all people have been talking about as well. It's crazy for these two days, but it's going to die down. But what it's also going to do is cool off considerably. Uh, right now, it's listed as 47 degrees out. And tomorrow, it's only going to be a high of 59. So, albeit... Yeah, you're looking at perfectly about 50, fine for me. 55 to 60 degrees each day um, with, with about 10-mile-an-hour winds. Yeah, so certainly much more, we'll say, manageable or tolerable is maybe the better word for it. Um, but it is going to be significantly cooler. And as you were just saying, Johnny, the temperatures when the women are going to be teeing off, uh, if I'm just looking at uh, yeah Thursday, I'm looking at Thursday at 7 a.m. when probably the first uh, groups will be going off. You're looking at only four-mile-an-hour winds, sunny, but 34 degrees. So 
Again, I'm from Wisconsin. I've got a layer that I or two I always have packed along. Uh, so I have insulation, but uh, I mean, it's gonna be a bit chilly out there. This couple things. One, I'll be curious to see how this affects the players. Will it affect the Europeans less because they're used to this cold weather as opposed to maybe mm-hmm. our uh, the the American players who have been probably hanging out in more warm weather? We know a lot of them are down in Florida. Uh, California, that type, is it going going to affect them? Mm -hmm. Second of all, this is exactly what we expected when we when we put the FPO in the morning. We saw this years ago that the morning rounds can be kind of brutally cold for weather for the first two months until you get through. I would say maybe mid April or early early April. We'll say anything goes. Honestly, we've seen yeah, snow. Yeah, and even then, <laughs> yeah. we saw snow in April in uh, bo- both. That's... Well, we saw snow in April in Jonesboro, and we also saw snow here a couple of years ago, which was very, very um, abnormal. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but yeah, it proves anything can happen. Exactly, and so this is this is one of the it's one of the quote unquote downsides of of splitting the broadcast again and 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 giving FPO their rightful due attention a full attention of a, of a live broadcast and the MPO full attention of a live broadcast and not trying to split attentions. There's no good answer. There's no good solution to be able to do this. Um, short of doubling everybody's, uh, expenses and putting them on at the same time on different courses brought and two different, two broadcasts running simultaneously on, on, uh, yeah, two courses. which, and, and which I don't see at, that at that point happening. seems like, uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, and I was going to say that seems like a, uh, a uh, I don't want to say a wasted effort is not the word I would say. I just don't know if that would have the return that would be worth it. It won't uh, in the first place. So it, it definitely it definitely wouldn't. So right now the way we obviously have it is you know our, the same crew that goes out in the morning. Some of those guys turn around an hour later and go back in the afternoon. So for for cameramen and you know in the in the control room as well in the commentary teams and, and the on on course reporter. That's you. Yeah. So, yeah, that's me. I know. Okay. So I'm in Vegas and you want me to be up early outside for 34 degree temps at 730. What did I sign up for? <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I am looking forward to it. And so to, let's quickly segue to that. Touch on it. This weekend, as we kick off the regular season here of the Disc Golf Pro Tour, we're going to have in the Milwaukee booth, not where I am uh, currently, but in the Milwaukee booth, we're going to have uh, Ian Anderson, Philo Brathwaite, along with Elaine King. So it'll be the three of them will be in Milwaukee, I believe, here on the ground, uh, at least during the press conference tomorrow and, and helping with some other stuff. I think Zoe Andike and possibly Nate Perkins and myself will be around. We'll have a couple of PDGA media reps that will be around uh, doing some stuff as well. So that's all going to be part of the team tomorrow. And then the rest of the week, Thursday through Sunday, I believe we're going to have a large focus on a couple of PDGA reps doing kind of the the post round or, or uh, follow up interviews, in-depth interviews. And I'm going to be out on the course with both the MPO and the FPO lead or feature cards uh, acting as a sideline reporter. So that's, to kind of break down the front-facing uh, media staff and team. There's going to be a ton of other people doing a ton of other work, but um, the voices and the faces that you'll see in here, I think that largely summarizes everyone. So 
Um, yeah, it's going to be fun, and and it's going to be a long weekend. Um, it's going to be a four day event. You know, you know, two rounds a day. Yeah, four day event. Two day. Yeah, two rounds a day is uh, is is just a big bang to get the season off and running for sure. So and and some chilly temperatures. And I'm going to go ahead and say. Again, I'm not complaining about the temperatures. I don't really care. I'm also not playing. But it's only going to get as warm on some of these days as mid 50s, low 60s. And so it's not like it it, it you know just starts out chilling. It's definitely going to get warmer and warmer. These last few days have been in the 60s and 70s. I, I don't know how much – I don't think we're going to see 70, maybe even the rest of the week. So it's just something for all the players to prep seeing how people react, seeing how people are prepared. Those are all things I think are the bigger storyline. It's not necessarily complaining about, oh, this is the exact temperature, but think about how the disc is flying, the reaction you're going to get on the ground. Is the ground going to be wet or muddy or dewy or all of those? Those are the things that I think you should be thinking about when we're talking about the temperatures. All right. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm just also getting, uh, I'm, well, I'm not going back on the board, but I am definitely looking over at it and, and taking a quick peek at it as well. Um, has there been any, any other questions from afar, Johnny, that you've been thinking with regard to uh, Vegas, the event this year? Um, a- anything, any other chatter that you've seen that people have questions about that maybe I can provide any insight into? No, not really. I mean, everybody's kind of familiar with what you're getting at Vegas at this point. It, it's been on the tour. This is the, I think this is the second year third? officially. Third? Yeah. Uh, like, w- well, yeah, it was uh, obviously it was a national tour for a couple of years. Yes, and then, national, and okay. now being. Um, I think this is the second yeah. year on the pro tour, but it was a national tour before that. So define the tour sure. however you want. Yes. But I, I believe everybody kind of knows what you're getting with Vegas. I mean, it's. <sighs> it's a it's a lot of flat land and it it is it's a big long wide open bomber course and that's honestly yeah i mean you have three of them that play a little different but yeah i mean there's uh, and maybe i'm just (laughs) it's all a blur to me but none of these courses are extremely memorable to me so and i've had this problem there are individual holes i couldn't tell you what course they were on sure like the obviously the finishing hole where we saw Eagle last year throw the the tilt upside down and uh, mm-hmm. you know there's the the a few of the opening holes I do recall there's you know a couple nice uh, shots over some water depending on how you take the hole uh, small little <laughs> little uh, ponds and whatnot but I just yeah I, I don't know Vegas yeah, is kind it, of a known it's a known commodity at this point there's not really a lot of surprise here yeah. And also, in, in all fairness, you, you've never been here and actually seen or played the course or any of the courses, as opposed to a few of the other ones out on the tour uh, that you're at a little bit more familiar with. But yeah, and, and the fact that we have 54 holes. I mean, yeah, I think that's, that's part even, of it as well. That that certainly is part of it, because even right now, as I'm thinking about the holes in my head, um, you know, a few of them can kind of blend together when you have so many of them overall that – uh, that they're going to be playing throughout this weekend. So, yeah, there are um, some really great advantages to these courses in that they are so open that, as someone mentions, there's great. They're great for spectators. They're great for selling for spectator sure. passes. And there's a lot of room out there. And 
you know, this is, you can fit a really large event here. I'm not, I'm not dismissing the, the establishment or the courses or anything. It's just kind of how these courses are with this many holes. It's hard to distinguish, um, one course from another, whether it's the, the factory course or the Innova course, or I forget the other course now, but yeah. The infinite course, the infinite course. Thank you. Um, it's just difficult, you know, to, to, to do, to do that. Well, and and certainly something that Jeff Jaqua and his team have worked so tirelessly throughout all these years is building up this grand stage and this venue that we're now playing on. Like you just mentioned, uh, the 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 spectator. Uh, I don't want to say just requirements or restrictions, but everything has an extra notch of professionalism and of seriousness to it, and. That really excites me. You're seeing where there's barricades. You're seeing where uh, people are allowed, and and not just. I'm I'm not just a big fan of like, oh, let's restrict <laughs> the freedom of walking around, but knowing that people should be in certain areas, and you can't just be out there roaming around in a fairway because you may or may not be impacting play on another fairway. And I, I just feel like they're taking a lot of those measures in place and having having legit uh, things like legitimate ticket sales also. They, of course, help support the event, but they, I think, legitimize so much of the event and then also give something to show to others. Like, hey, we had 1,200 spectators. We had 2,800 spectators. Whatever the numbers are, I don't even know. But you're finally able, we're finally getting better at being able to actually put our finger on what the economics really look like. And I think that's all part of this accountability and and a part of ticket sales and and things of that nature. And it it makes it that much easier to to go out and attract additional sponsors. If someone says, hey, I'd like to vend at that event next year, well, they can say, hey, we had, you know, 22,000 people come through for the weekend or whatever the number is. It's just, yeah, there's so much more to it that I think a lot of people tend to forget. Um, I, I don't. Maybe this isn't a surprise. There's, there hasn't been a lot of craziness to report on from Vegas. I was going to give a full in-depth uh, report, but not too much going on here. Things have been relatively, at least from my perspective, things have been pretty even keel. Uh, I did get in Sunday night. I I was opted for the first time ever to go to Fremont Street and the Fremont Experience, as they they've dubbed it. And that was a lot of fun. Met up with a number of golfers down there. Uh, Took in the Four Queens for the first time ever. If anyone's been to Vegas and knows exactly what I'm talking about, usually you're kind of cut from a like you're a strip. You like to be on the strip and the the madness, the the atmosphere of what the strip offers, and then it's just a very different vibe down on Fremont Street. So I was down there for one night along with some golfers, and now I'm at the the link for the next few nights. And what can I say? I enjoy both. <laughs> Both of what they have to offer. Um, somebody's saying on the board, which I think is one of the biggest stories about this entire week. We have the best women in the world are finally together. The, the top, literally the top four rated players. The top four yeah, and rated everybody players. talks about. Well, yeah, but so and so is not here, and Evelina is not here, and Hannah is not here. Or, well, Kristen was there, but so and so wasn't. They're all here. They're all together. They've got three courses, four days, 72 holes, all of that stuff, uh, all similarly rated. 
I mean, we, we don't have anyone that's 1010 compared to, uh, you know, everyone else at 960. So the parody is there. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of who steps in, up and performs. I guess the question is, of course it matters, but does it? It's it's not like we're determining, well, so-and-so's clearly the best player in the world now. We, we determined it this weekend. You're not in sports media, Terry, because this weekend will determine the greatest <laughs> of all time. The greatest FPL golfer we've ever seen. Yeah. And not just the winner. Whoever is leading after first round, at that point, they oh, will be the okay. greatest <laughs> FPL player. So if if Paige Pierce is winning by one stroke, she is the greatest. If if Henna <laughs> decides to take a two-stroke lead after Has the a first round, lead. Yep. my God, it's over. She's destroying. Henna, Henna yeah. is destroying is. the field. <laughs> That's yeah. Terry. You, no, I, and, you really have to get into sports radio <laughs> mode. I'll, I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to pick up those narratives and run with it. No, and that's my point. Like I'm excited to see it play out, but we're not going to see one player win by 39 strokes, and and leave the and the other golf because all the other golfers are also you know shooting eight eight ten golf for the weekend. Like mm-hmm. you're going to see a good battle, and. I was going to say flip a coin, but flip a coin, what, three, four, five times? Because it's anybody's game. And and I know part of the narrative will also be, which whether I'm pushing it or not, will be like, well, who practiced? Who didn't? They're all practicing. Nobody did anything revolutionary probably over the offseason. And I'm I'm not trying to dismiss this, but they're so evenly matched up and they're all great. I'm excited to see the battle, but it's one of many, right? It, yes, yes. The, the it's kind of funny because I understand the concept of putting a, a little media, a little media behind the scenes. If you don't know, first round, every post production team gets their own card, including the DGN. So DGN usually takes the best quote unquote best card that would be for broadcasting and what they decide. So that's why, you know, there will be for DGN, there's going to be Paige, Kristen, Henna, and Evelina on the broadcast card. And then I believe GK will probably have a different set of women, probably the second card, which has like Haley, Hokum, Allen, and Scoggins, I think. That's odds are that's probably how it's going to work. Um so I understand putting the top four rated women in one card. There's a little part of me in my gut that just feels like Kat is getting a almost like she should be on that broadcast card. She's the world champion. I know she's not, you know, she's she's technically like the sixth or seventh highest rated woman here. But it, there, it just hurts. A, and, and again, you can slice it any way you want to. I'm not, I can't fault. I was going to say like, it just, it just, uh, how many coins are we flipping here? Yeah. It just, it just, there's, there's a little bit. I, if I were cat and I were a competitive person, I could see this as a slight, like I'm not on the broadcast feature card and I understand how they sorted it. Everybody does, but you're the world champion. You are the arguably the, 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 what, the player of the year. You, she had a dominant season and to start the season off, not in the spotlight, just slightly feels like, like a, I could read that as a chip on my shoulder. If I were her, I'm just saying, I mean, it's again, you're, we're, we're we're talking sports radio here. You gotta, you gotta find the, gotta find the hook. (laughs) So, yeah, I, 
I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And I feel like at that point, to some degree, we're, you know, we're splitting hairs. Yeah. Um, you know, because you could make an argument literally for everyone. You can make an argument for Missy Gannon to be there, for Paige Pierce to be there, for, for Haley King to be in there. Mm-hmm. I just feel like there's an argument that could be made. You could make some uh, no bad arguments, but the counter argument is a good argument. You could make bad arguments I'm, for those. I'm other not ones. saying it's not, but I, I and again, uh, I understand. I understand what they did. I completely see why they picked the lead card that they did. Plus, everybody wants to see, you know, the, you know, the Finns and the Estonia, uh, Kristen Tatar from Estonia. They want to see them go up against arguably who we feel is the best player in the world right now, Paige Pierce. So I just for the so sake like, of you, again, maybe I understand it just. Yeah, I was just going to say for the sake of you, maybe sounding dumb, who who would you take out then and then put in uh, take out to put cat in? It's a hard card? It, it's a hard choice. I, I feel like you almost have to flip a coin between Henna and Evelina. And I, I would. <sighs> okay. It's tough because you could you could say I would take out Henna because she doesn't quite have the name recognition of Evelina because you know Evelina won on the Pro Tour last year at the very beginning of the year before everything was you know boot or two years ago two years what? ago two years ago so you could make that argument she and she won at the Memorial and you could put Cat in there but you could also say well no uh, Henna's technically a point high rated higher than Evelina. So she should be in there and Evelina should be out there. There is mm-hmm. that answer is really up in the air. I, I don't have a good solution for that. Or both sponsored by Innova. Correct. Uh, as just a side note. Yep. I, I under, <laughs> I, I, I understand the back end working of it as well, Terry. And thank you for bringing that up. All, all I'm saying is that it does there. I feel like you could have shined a little spotlight on our world champ. So that's it. That's all. I mean, okay. I mean you're right. There's, there's I no love right Kat answer. as much as the next guy, but I, no right I feel answer. like as we're looking at who won last year, mm-hmm. Paige, Paige Pierce. Yep. And then you're, you're sorting by rating and you're talking about the four highest rated women in the world. I, I, I understand what you're saying, but mm-hmm. I also understand fully how they arrived at what they did. And as you just said, Cat's actually the seventh highest rated person at the event. Yeah, I, I understand all of okay. that. I understand all of that. Like, like there is an argument to be made either way. There are good arguments. There are bad arguments. Sure. I'm, I'm just, if I'm Cat, I use, I use that as a little motivation. That's all I'm saying. Okay, we'll go with that. Okay. Anyway, we, uh, we obviously have the best, best. On the FPO side, the MPO side, everything should be exciting. Uh, I don't. I don't think we're going to see any. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess backtracking slightly, we're not going to see any forehands out of Eagle McMahon, who's talked about uh, not relying on those. We saw that. Excuse me, that wasn't the case, even in the high stakes uh, All Star Weekend, and so I don't think we're going to see any of that uh, come to fruition this weekend either. And then you know it was really big that. You know, and I and maybe I didn't bring it to light just enough during the All Star Weekend, but Eagle said he's not playing a couple of the Texas events and part of that swing uh, because he doesn't want to have to um, play 
and rely on or go to his forehand shots, which he'd be more inclined to do out there, whereas he feels like a course like this, a course like the All-Stars, is a, a situation where he doesn't think that an all, uh, a forehand will be nearly as as uh, crucial to have. So uh, we'll see. I'm going to expect that he sticks to that game plan. I guess the real question is, what's the over-under on lefty shots out of Eagle this week? you think we'll see any? This week? I, I don't think so. I, I don't think. And, and granted, again, I, I just said, you know, 20 minutes ago that this co- these courses blend together and I don't have a, a good vision, but I, I don't recall. I think someone said he threw four forehands here last year. Okay. And so I think if you're, if your goal is to get away from the forehands, he can probably just throw Anheuser's on those holes. He, d- he doesn't necessarily yeah. have to throw a forehand or even, you know, a lefty shot that might not be quite as accurate. He might not be able to be quite as reliable with throwing that at the all-star event is one thing. Throwing it on the pro tour is another. You have to be very confident in that or not care. So maybe maybe we see something like that if he's out of it. By the end of the, you know, if he can't win with a few, with a few holes to go, there's a lefty shot out there that I could see that, or it's super early in the round and he wants to give it a shot. I just don't see, I, I don't see a, a scenario where he's going to need to do it very often. Um, my follow up to that is who counted? Is, did somebody have that? The question is, you did a super fan stat Mando does man? I don't know if it was. I, them, well, that's but, what I was going to say. Did a super fan? have nothing better to do or did somebody go back and actually do the recon as opposed to just remembering like, Oh, I I watched it. And I mean, God bless whoever, whoever, you know, if they really arrived at the right number and four is the right number, as you say, Johnny, but man, I, I, that's, I guess that's why we have uh, that's why we have uh, research departments uh, that I, that I could never work in. <laughs> you know, uh, you, gatekeepers you know, on the board you know the saying hole tour? three at the Innova could be one where he throws a forehand. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. You're not you're not wrong, gatekeeper. Um, I don't could be. Yeah, I don't. I don't yeah, maybe. Do you do you know what the Pro Tour has now? We've got what we call logger, um, loggers. Literally every shot that we show on I'm camera, cutting down trees. That doesn't sound very eco friendly. Did Madison approve that? She did actually. She picked the trees. She named them. <laughs> okay. And then we cut them down. No, we've got people now, uh, some PAs that are actually taking uh and in a spreadsheet every shot that we take on the live broadcast, they mark and they, they do a quick description of it. So I don't know if they're if they're doing forehand backhand, it would be kind of cool if you're listening and you're out there to do that. But you could easily then do a filter based on Eagle forehand this. I mean, that's that's how I used to log our shots. If it was a unique shot, mm-hmm. would be you know label the actual highlight. When when Sarah Holcomb would throw a backhand I, and it happened to be a highlight, I would label it backhands just so I knew that it was a different type of highlight. Um, so yeah, sure. I'll, I'll find out. I'll talk to Mo and see if that's happening because that could be very useful I, going back. 
So someone yeah. doesn't have to go back and watch uh, all the post-production or live to, <laughs> to gather all of that. I, I, again, I know they're dedicated fans that probably uh, would jump at the opportunity. Or maybe Thomas Gilbert just knew that off the top of his head. Whatever the case might be, uh, I applaud you guys for the diligence and the uh, – <laughs> yeah, for the diligence is, is that what I guess I would say there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it looks like we got Gatekeeper out on the board. Hope you guys are well. I haven't run into them yet. I did see most of the uh, Pro Tour crew, which has expanded yet again. Um, you know, things we've talked about in the past about uh, just the overall, uh, the depth in which we have, uh, and all of the media crews are continuing to expand and get locked into more and more roles and responsibilities, uh, which is awesome. I also saw, I think I was on a, on the call, maybe you were on it earlier, Johnny. At one point they were doing, I think it was a, a volunteer uh, ring of fire that they were doing. And so and they're pounding a, pounding a, a, a pot or a pan or something and letting everyone know that the volunteers could go out and do a ring of fire and they could win stuff. And just the way they treat everyone here is just absolutely incredible. And people are continuing to check in and uh, do everything at the Wild Horse, which is which is an awesome venue to be at. Let me just say that if, if that's not obvious, just everything here when you're at the event feels just really professional. And that's one of the big advantages to being at a golf course. And I know people can talk about whether they love the golf and the shots that are required or not, but stepping into a clubhouse, having a full, you know, bar and grill and, and places to relax and media rooms, like just, it's it's a great way to get things kicked off for the season, that's for sure. All right, it looks like Tyler Brickley and friends are out there as well, man. So what do, what do you what would you say the is the anticipation level of the tour and the year and the season and the golf is is it a, is it a nine? Is it a nine and a half? Is it an eleven? Is it who, off the charts? Who are you asking? What, what, what's your gauge, Johnny? <laughs> Yeah, I, I I realize that, but if you had to just take a sweeping poll all the way across, what what do you feel like is the 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 sentiment out there? I feel like we're at an eight and a half, and the only reason okay. we're not higher is that there are there's a significant segment of the disc golf population that just doesn't love the West Coast courses. The the, oh, sure. the the Heiser bombs that they're super excited sure. to get closer to the East Coast, and so that it kind of slightly tampers it a little bit. But ultimately, a lot of people are excited that disc golf is back, man. It's it is it's a it's a cool it's a it's a really cool community and, and cool environment to be in right now because as you know, and with our interview with Stokely, we've been around a long time, and this wasn't always the case. You know, you, you would go, there would be years that you would almost forget that the first national tour was happening. You're like, oh yeah, that's right. That's happening. <laughs> We've, uh, all the guys are going out there and you know, the, the, the 12 touring pros would, would all meet up at wherever the first national tour <laughs> stop was. And then it would be a bunch of, you know, regional locals. So it is really nice to see the excitement in the sport, the way we have it right now. And I think that it is, uh, it's going to be a good year. Yeah. Well, um, with a little bit of a setback, we got to send out our our uh, our well wishes. I feel like we're unfortunately we're doing this often week in and week out, but our, of course our well wishes out to Maddie O, 
he he said that he thought maybe he just in, enjoyed the the crab and the food too much here in Vegas, but then actually went into the emergency room and then had appendicitis, had his appendix removed. You don't need and that. And it sounds like it sounds apparently not, which I think is weird. Like <laughs> you just we can start removing organs, but um, yeah, and he's on his he's on his way back to um to Alabama from what I saw and heard. So I think he's gonna get all healed up and recovered. So uh hopefully everything uh works out. I know he really struggled the last day, according to his Facebook. It sounded like he was in either a lot of pain and or felt mildly neglected, but uh hopefully he is now uh on his way back and gonna mend up. I, I wonder what the timeline is. I haven't looked anywhere uh, if and maybe he posted it somewhere, or maybe some of you know that have had this happen. Like, what is the realistic timeline before Matteo is throwing a disc and is competitive again? Is that is that, I have no idea. Is that two weeks? Is that two months? Um, Johnny, you want to Google that I'm average gonna, recovery of of appendicitis? Appendectomy recovery is usually two to four weeks normal activity. Two to four weeks. So let's just say disc golf is a little bit above a normal activity so i'm gonna say yeah uh, especially um, for throwing and a twisting and, and your, your your midsection i'm I'm gonna go with let's say he's out a month four weeks so he, he's gonna miss the first two events M- maybe okay may, i mean he, he isn't he's an old he's an old school golfer matteo's been around a long time mm-hmm he doesn't put the same type of torque into his throws. He throws very far that we see some of these guys do now with, you know, the straight pullback and the follow through. Matteo is much more of a curler. You know, he's got that, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the unique form. So he doesn't put quite as much stress, I think, on his abdomen as a lot of guys probably do. But it's still like. I think if he's back in three weeks, that's a really good recovery. I would probably bet closer to four. Okay. Dr. Johnny. That's with the mean, update. This, this is my professional opinion as a, um, yes, as, as, as a, a, as a podcast host, <laughs> we have learned that any opinion you may have a medical, it sh- should be revered as such. Yeah. You have a stomach. I have a big stomach. I have a big so we we I I think we're qualified. Okay, certainly. <laughs> uh, uh, I am uh, reading. There's a. Uh, it sounds like the comments are saying you know two to three, two to four weeks. Again, I, I guess it's going to all come down to uh, him specifically with the throwing motion, as opposed to you know can he can he go out and you know just have a nice walk in three weeks and it's going to be no big deal. Will throwing be that much worse? Uh, I guess we'll see what happens and how it shakes out. So of course, well wishes. Hope. He heals up as best as he can, and it's crazy. It is what it is, and and he's he's safe and he's and he's well and mending. But crazy to think of the hype and everything surrounding him and Westside, and then just the new chapter in his life. And now it's just going to be simply delayed um, by what we're guessing is two to four, three to five weeks, whatever the case might be. So, best of wishes to him. And then also in the news. Uh, Johnny McRae going in for a surgery. I think he had a, a pacemaker of sorts uh, installed and um, it sounds like everything is going as well as it can be. And and Jen, his wife, often says, 
he gets overwhelmed by messages of love and support, which is incredible. And sometimes she has to take the phone away from him because he gets uh, he gets too <laughs> emotional and is taking them all in. And and I so I say that lovingly and jokingly with a smile that uh, all the love and support that's being. Uh, you know, shown to him, uh, rightfully so. And Jim Oates is continuing to be on the mend as well. And we saw a post coming in from Juliana Corver stating, hey, due to what's happened with her beau, I think that's appropriate age. Uh, fiance? Yeah. Uh, okay, we'll, we'll go there too. Um, due to that, though, uh, their schedule, uh, combined schedule, is, of course, on a little bit of a delay. Uh, and we'll see that pick back up in a few months. So, yeah, unfortunately, we have these medical updates. But so far from what we've seen, they've also all been uh, as good of results as they can be, uh, all things considered. So best of luck to all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have to assume Johnny is going to be out probably a minimum of three months. The pacemaker, uh, my father-in-law just had a, a pacemaker put in uh, on, mm. uh, on Monday. And so resting well. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and they, for him, they say it's six weeks before he should be really lifting and doing anything. So I okay. assume it has to be at least two months before, two to three months before Johnny is throwing with the power that he does. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, as somebody said on the board, yes. And again, I'm a doctor. Is... I'm, I'm a podcast doctor. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. Johnny, <laughs> Dr. Johnny V. Uh, <laughs> I watched the first two seasons of Grey's Anatomy. That has to be good for something. A little bit of ER you're, when I was younger. You're, I, and, th- and they call you like Dr. McDreamy too, or something like that. Is, <laughs> we don't, we, let's no? not talk about Dr. that. I, I, I don't, I don't. <laughs> Uh, so, um, <laughs> I don't even know what I was going to say, but, uh, <laughs> way to derail yourself, Miller. I know. Yeah. I know. Oh yeah. No, I watched no, like no all one... of scrubs. I've seen every episode of scrubs. Uh, yeah. That, I mean, yeah. virtually Even Turk. I mean, I'm, 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 I am virtually a, a doctor. Yeah. Along with general hospital. You're a big fan of that. So, um, right. Maybe when I was in kindergarten, we watched with my grandmother. We'd watch a little bit of the Luke and Laura saga, that era, uh-huh. probably. Other than that. Sure. So. All right. Is there anything else in terms of disc golf conversation that we should be having? No. Legitimate disc golf conversation. No, I, I don't think so. <laughs> like all this Dr. Doc. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of – yeah. I go again. I want to go to the course and and catch up with these players and see what's going on. And most of them are just hiding from the wind, so I don't have a lot to report on. Tomorrow we will have a press conference. Uh, I want to say it's around two ish local time to Las Vegas. Uh, I believe it's sometime around then, and people will be able to tune in and watch that. And I think that's about it in terms of the golf stuff. Yeah, we're gonna go with this. All right, Johnny. Do you want to do? Do we want to do a quick uh, transition over to an after show here for everyone? Sure, we'll do a real do quick one. Oh, no, did we'll, I lose we'll, you? we'll we'll do a quick we'll do a quick oh, one. That's good. And then um, from there, oh. yeah, we'll we'll do a quick transition. We'll do a quick after. Oh, sorry. Show. Yeah, I lost you for a sec. Okay, that's fine. Okay, mm-hmm. nobody else did. Just you. Um, oh. <laughs> so we'll go into the after show. Just say goodbye, good night, do whatever, and uh, be on our way. I've got a yeah. I've got a long night ahead of me. 
we'll talk about that in the in the after show. Okay. All right. So we're going to close things out. Thank you guys for joining along this ride <laughs> that got off to a little rough start here in Vegas. Uh, but thank you guys for joining us. Uh, thank you to Scott Stokely uh, for jumping in. Uh, he rushed over here from his hotel, uh, went through a bunch of uh, challenges to get up here, but uh, really appreciate him joining us, giving us a little insight. There's been a lot of hype. Like I said, he might be, he might be the uh, conductor of that hype train, but we will take it. And so glad to get caught up with him uh before this huge season is upon us not just for him but for all of disc golf so we're very much looking forward to it we're going to have a giveaway in fact i think we're going to have two giveaways because last week i didn't do one so we'll be able to give away oh, two this week that's right so we're going to double up on those so make sure you stick around uh i'll do my best to follow along with uh, some other comments johnny v's got stories i've got updates for the after show so we'll uh we'll get into all of that so Scott Stokely, Johnny V, this has been Podcast 390. Stick around. We'll be back in just a few moments from Las Vegas. We'll see you then when you step inside the Smashbox. Thank you to our $2 and above patrons. Your name is listed below in the credits. If you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash Smashbox TV. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.